Amen. Thank you, Harvey and Elaine. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, while you're turning there, uh, let me say a couple more thank yous. Uh, one, I don't know if you saw it on our Facebook page, but our, one of our own made news over the last week or so, uh, our friend Ronnie, uh, for his mentorship of uh, young guys learning about electricity. And notice I'm not teaching that because there'd be a lot of things blowing up in, in the Five Forks Greer, Greenville area. So we're grateful for that. And uh, uh, we are so grateful for all that he does for our church. I also want to remind you next Sunday night, I believe it's the 16th, uh, we're going to be having a super fellowship, super S-O-U-P-E-R, super, some soup together in the Family Life Center. So mark your calendars for that. And, uh, and then the next Sunday, we're going to be worshiping together with another worship night. Uh, that was, I was thinking about that as I was listening to Harvey and Elaine sing, because uh, I tell you what, some of the old hymns, some of the powerful words, I love seeing it on the screen because it reminds me about some of the powerful words of those old hymns, like turn your eyes upon Jesus, or like how marvelous, how wonderful. And my soul shall ever sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And uh, Roger and Barry, thank you for sharing that song with us. I know for your dad, that was one of his favorite hymns. So thank you for blessing our hearts with that this morning. So Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, if, you, if you're visiting with us, and this is your first Sunday, we've been going through and studying the book of Nehemiah. And we started in chapter 1, and it took us a couple of weeks, but we got through there. And so now we're in chapter 3, and what uh, is happening here in this story with our, with our friend Nehemiah, quite a visionary, God has kind of come to him through some Hebrew guys that he overheard talking about his homeland, Jerusalem, and the walls being destroyed. The temple had been rebuilt, but the walls surrounding the city and surrounding the temple were down, and... God reveals to him that his next task is to go and to rebuild those walls. Now, I want to kind of go ahead and give you, I shouldn't do this, but spoiler alert, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book of Nehemiah. The story is not about rebuilding the walls. Now, I know for the next several chapters, that's what we're going to be talking about. But the reason for rebuilding the walls was so that there would be a city surrounded and fortified that could give praise and honor to God. That was the objective. So don't lose sight. Sometimes we read scripture and we're wondering, what in the world is going on? Is this all about walls? No, it's not. It's not. I know we're talking a lot, even in our own country, about building some walls, but we're not talking about that wall today. All right, we're talking about building the walls around this city so that it is a fortified, protected city so that the people of God can bring honor and praise to him. And so that's Nehemiah's task. And so we find ourselves uh, getting to chapter 3. Last week we looked at some bullies and some buddies and some bosses. And the bullies tried to discourage Nehemiah from his task, but he found some buddies, and at the end of chapter 2, they said, okay, you've inspired us, let's get to work, let's build this wall. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 3. Now I want to warn you, we're going to read the chapter. The verses aren't on the screen, so I hope you've got a copy of God's Word, because it's a lot of verses. It's a lot of names that you might not know how to pronounce, and guess what? Your preacher pastor doesn't know how to pronounce a lot of them either, that's okay. Because there are a lot of complicated names. But we're going to read this and we're going to discover a few things together this morning as we read it. So chapter 3, let's start together, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. 
They consecrated it and they hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and they hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Now as we go through these verses, I want you to just be looking for names of gates. Because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You're going to hear all these gates that he's going to be describing as we read. So verse 4. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshalem, the son of Barakiai, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. Who would like to come up and read the rest of the chapter? <laughs> I told you there were going to be some interesting names, right? All right, verse 5. Moreover... Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, and their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Notice that. It's interesting. Verse 6, And Joadai, the son of Pasiai, and Mashalim, the son of Basadai, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Malatiai, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marianite, the men of Gideon and of Mezpah, also made repairs for the official seat they also made repairs of the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And next to him, Uzael, the son of Harhai of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now let's stop for just a second. As you may be getting overwhelmed like me with the names. It's interesting. He's identifying several people, if you've noticed, that are helping rebuild the wall. Number one, he's naming these people by name. It's interesting. Nobody's forgotten. Everybody's important. Everybody has a role because he's even told us already there's goldsmiths rebuilding the wall. There's perfumers rebuilding the wall. I had the chance to help some of our men down in the, the Family Life Center last weekend. We were putting in windows and moving our offices. That is not my calling. But when you have a job like that, it's all hands on deck. And this was the case for Nehemiah. So despite the fact that that might not have been what they were trained in or their degree was in, it was a job so big that it required everybody all hands on deck. So you've got the goldsmiths and the perfumers and on and on. And we'll discover more people who are involved here. Verse 9, and next to them, Raphael, the son of Hur, the official of half of the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedi, the son of Haramuth, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Habaniah, made repairs. Malkajah, the son of Haram, and Hashib, the son of Piath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the official, or half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughter. Verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. There's another gate. They built it. They hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. There's another gate. And Malkajai, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Harakim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohaziah, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. There's another gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. Pause just a second. Anybody been to Israel? One person? 
We're going to take a church trip to Israel in the next two, three years. I haven't been either. I've been all over the world, and that's one place I'm ready to go. Because I've been told by pastor friends that have been to this area of the world, when you walk and you see firsthand some of the things that you read in Scripture, it gives you a new appreciation and things come to life. So when I read some of this, I'm like, wow, I wish I could actually see this in my mind's eye. Verse 15, Shalom, the son of Kohizi. The official of the district of Mizpah repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with bolts and its bars in the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden. I think I read that one. Verse 16. After him, Nehemiah the son of Azbuk, official of half of the district of Mezpah, Bethser, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David and as far as the artificial pool in the house of the mighty men. Hang with me, we're almost done. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rahum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashibiah, the official of half the district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. After him, their brothers carried out repairs under Bavai, the son of Hernandai, official of the other half of the district. And next to him, Azir, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mezpah, repaired another section. In verse 30, after him, Baruch, the son of Zabiah, zealously repaired another section. Verse 21, after him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, repaired another section. Verse 22, and after him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin and Hashub carried out repairs in front of their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. 24, after him, Beniam, the son of Hernadad, repaired another section. Verse 25, Palel, the son of Uzziah, made repairs in front of the angle and the tower. Verse 26, the temple servants living in Aphel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate. Not that one, not that water gate. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs. Verse 29, after them, Zadok, the son of Emer, carried out repairs in front of the house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekinah, Shekinah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shilamiah, the sixth son, repaired another section. Verse 31, after him, one of the goldsmiths carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. Verse 32, and between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, make a sermon out of that. I had the chance to study the book of Nehemiah a few years ago, and I've studied through it several times. And there is a reason that God, in his knowledge and in his wisdom, would have Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, record that for us. And some of those things I've already mentioned, every person has a name. Those people are, are brought to our attention, and, and we remember their names. Their names are recorded in this book for a reason. Because they each had a role to do, and you and I each have a role to do in what I would call the rebuilding of the spiritual walls that need to be rebuilt in our culture. We each have a job to do. It's all hands on deck. God wants to use you. But the truth of the matter is, before we can actually be used of God, we kind of have to know where we are in our own spiritual walk. And this chapter has a lot of prophecy in it, which is some of it honestly... Folks, is way above my head. Some of it I understand and some of it I don't. Some of it I research. But there are a lot of words, there are a lot of gates in here that are actually prophetic 
uh, there's prophetic symbols in what Nehemiah is trying to say and trying to dis- uh, demonstrate by us seeing the temple. This is, this is kind of what it looked like in that day and time. And, it, it, and as it, these walls were supposed to surround and protect the temple, every so often around the walls were the gates. And as these verses were read, as we read these verses together, that's the gate names are all the way around protecting the temple. And they each had a function. Each gate had a purpose. It wasn't just there just to be there. God had a purpose for each gate that went around the temple wall. And the walls were destroyed. And so these people have been put together. They've been inspired by Nehemiah's leadership to do something about these gates. So this morning, as best I can, and I'm going to ask you to pray while you're listening. There are ten gates mentioned in this chapter. And all of us in this room, including the pastor preacher, find ourselves standing spiritually at one of these gates. And at the end of the service today, at the invitation, I'm going to invite you. The Holy Spirit hopefully is going to invite you. We're going to have a kind of a different invitation this morning. I'll just tell you at the beginning. For us to stand, and I call out the gates, to symbolically say, Lord, here's where I am. Here's the gate that I am in front of. And here's where I need to go. You know, GPS is a wonderful thing. It's a great invention. The only problem with GPS is it does not work if it cannot tell you where you are. You ever had that trouble before? I was lost a few months ago traveling and I put in where I wanted to go. And it just sat there and it just spun and spun. And Siri could not find out where I was. And I was yelling at Siri saying, here I am. I'm in this place. I'm at this intersection. And Siri was not participating. So the GPS was not useful. GPS is only good if we know where we are. In our spiritual GPS, God's positioning system, if I can use that term this morning, is only good for us if we know where we are. It's great to have vision. We have incredible vision for our church. And one of the things that we've discovered is to get to where we want to go, we have to know where we are. And so that's what we're going to discover as we look at at chapter three. So I'm going to mention these gates one by one. And if you want to take some notes, I would encourage you to do so. The first gate that we have mentioned in the scriptures, the sheep gate in verse one, he talks about the sheep gate, otherwise known as the salvation gate. Gate. It's the first gate mentioned, probably because it was the first gate actually built and consecrated. And it's interesting that it is the first gate mentioned and the first gate consecrated. Some, some versions, some translations of these verses, chapter 3, verse 1, says that the sheep gate was set in place. Some translations say set in place. And the setting in place is a prophetic kind of reference to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is set in place. It points to the fact that the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago to be the Lamb of God, to come to the world to bring us to salvation, He is the door by which all men must go through to be saved, the sheep gate. And these, this, this is the gate uh, around the temple If you go back and look at the sheep gate, that is the gate. The reason it's called the sheep gate is because that's the gate the sheep went through. How appropriate. When sheep are going to be slaughtered and lambs are going to be sacrificed for temple worship, that's the gate that they came through, the sheep gate. That is the same gate 
that I would submit to you that we as believers all these years later have to symbolically go, go through to sacrifice ourselves and die to ourselves and come to faith in Jesus. The sheep gate. Some translations again say the salvation gate. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and that's the gate you're standing in front of. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Can I tell you that that's the first step. That's the first gate that you and I have to go through. Trust me, as a, as a 14, 15 year old kid at a youth camp who thought I was rededicating my life to Jesus and, and was ready to be baptized, I actually realized at that youth camp, no, I'd never given my life to Jesus in the first place. You may be praying about following through in believer's baptism. I hope we're going to have a baptism up here in the near future. You may be thinking, I, I need to get baptized. Getting dunked in that water will do you no good unless you've gone through the sheep gate and you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You'll just be a wet non-believer. And that's what I was at nine years of age. Man, I got dunked. I paddled around in there. I had a good time. Dr. Alistair Walker, first Spartanburg, 2,000 people come down after service. Congratulations, pinching my cheeks. Good job, young man. Good. And I did not have a clue. So we have to go through the sheep gate. We have to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step, and that's the first gate. But he mentions another gate. He mentions the, the fish gate or the service gate. He talks about it in verse 3. And Bible scholars will tell us, and commentators and scholars, if you study the original language, that this is referring to that next step. The next step, and if you look at the diagram, I'll put back up in a minute. We go from the sheep gate, we go around to the fish gate. The fish gate is next. It's called the fish gate because that's where the fish came in. Don't you love how the Bible makes it so simple? Why would they call it the sheep gate? Because that's the gate that the sheep came in. Why would they call it the fish gate? Because that's the gate that the fish came in. That's the gate that was right by the water where the fishermen would bring their loads of fish. And they would unload their fish. And it's a simple testimony that Jesus calls for us. It speaks to us as, as men and women in, in Christ to be fishers of men. And that's the gate where the fishermen would bring their catch from Galilee, would bring their catch in right through that gate into the market to be sold, the fish gate, which reminds us that we have a second step in our work as believers, not just to be saved, but our role as believers is to go out and be fishers of men. The big spiritual fancy word for it is called sanctification. And it simply means growing in our faith as a believer, growing up. God does not intend for us to wallow around and be a spiritual baby all of our lives, though in a lot of churches around America, that's what you see. Thankfully, not so much at Crossroads. Because God has a plan for us. And on that diagram, we'll put up again in a minute, you go from the sheep gate to the fish gate. And it speaks of the church in the first century where believers, we read about them in Acts, turned their world upside down because they were on fire for Christ and they would go out and they would tell anybody and everybody they knew about Jesus. Statistics tell us that most believers reach other people for Christ within two years of coming to know Jesus. You know why? Because we're all excited. 
We've realized we don't have to spend an eternity in a burning hell. And we have the creator of the universe who loves us and cares for us and wants to lead us and guide us. And we have his word, his instruction manual to help us through life. And then somewhere about year three, four, five, six, the cold water committee shows up. And a lot of times it's religious people and they pour water on our fire and it goes out. And so we settle at just being a church member. We don't need more good church members. We need more men and women who are on fire for Jesus, who are ready to see the world come to know him. And to forget about ourselves and think about him. And so these, these gates are symbolic, and Nehemiah is trying to describe what's going to happen here with the rebuilding of the walls, which again, that's not the, that's not the objective. The objective is to have a city worshiping God and praising God. So he tells us about that fish gate. But it's interesting, there was a group of people if you flip back at verse 5, I mentioned it to you. They didn't want to work. It was the nobles. They didn't want to work. Not interested in, in getting, getting my hands dirty. Now you're asking me to really do something. Not interested in that. I'm all about, you know, all about getting this wall done. I'll just watch. My dad was trying to tell a joke the other day, and he said, uh, he said I wonder sometimes if some people in the world think manual labor was the governor of Mexico. And it's not. There's work for us to do. There, there is this crossroads. There is this, uh, I won't even call it a doctrine. I guess it is a doctrine. It's a false doctrine that's kind of sweeping around Christianity and Christendom and churches nowadays. That basically after you get saved, everything's grace. Oh, the grace of Jesus. Oh, the grace of Jesus. I'm all about the grace of God. I'm thankful for the grace. For by faith, through grace, I am saved. By grace, through faith, I'm saved. I'm thankful for God's grace. But God's grace did not call you and I just to sit back and do nothing. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Paul tells us. So God has a job for us to do. So maybe for you today, you look at these gates and you hear about these gates and you're thinking, okay, maybe I need to go through that next gate go through the fish gate, but he mentions another gate. He mentions the scripture gate. We read it, this translation, my translation calls it the old gate. And Nehemiah is the only book in the Bible where it's called the old, old gate. Scholars tell us, archaeologists tell us that it may have been one of the original gates of the tin that was made. It may have been one of the first gates that was made, was the old gate. And symbolically, I think what he's telling us there, the personal aspect that we can take away is, I just mentioned it, some of the old songs of faith, some of the old ways of truth. Sometimes as a young believer in Christ, we come through the sheep gate, and then maybe we go through the fish gate, and then the next gate I think is the old gate to remind us that old things are not necessarily bad. I thank God for some of the older people, you older folks in this congregation. There's also a generation that we always want something new, something new. What can be new? What can be new? I'm all for new stuff. I don't have a lot of it, but I'm all for it. I remember one time, a long, 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 long time ago, pre-kids, pre-marriage, when I sat in at the dealership, a new car. <sighs> something about that new car smell, wasn't it? And it's so, such a good smell that they actually have deodorizers now, little stick-ons that you can buy to put in your old car to make it smell like a new car. Have you got those at AutoZone? I mean, those are pretty nice, too. 
doesn't work in my 2005 Toyota. I've tried. But we laugh about old things, and old things here, this old gate, actually the scripture gate is another term that they used to describe it, reminds us that learning the old ways of truth never changed. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, the Lord says, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Sometimes we want something new, the latest teaching, the latest experience, the latest song, the latest fad, the latest this or that. Can I tell you, there's something that's old, it's been here for a long time, and it says it will be here forevermore, and it's this book right here, the Word of God. It's old, but it's true, and it's a light into our path. And the old gate, sometimes it's the old things that we need to lean on, and prophetically it's speaking of the, this period of time where the church fathers around 100 to 325 AD, there was this period of time where they really had to become to defend the faith and become apologists of the faith because people were starting to twist scripture and twist the things of God. So maybe you're at the old gate today or maybe you're at the sufferer's gate. The next gate he mentions in verse 13 is the valley gate. It's interesting that he mentions the valley gate next because... I don't know about you, maybe you find yourself in one of those valleys right now. Maybe you remember that time when you came to Christ, you went through the sheep gate, you were on fire, you wanted to tell people about Jesus, you would, you would tell a stop sign about Jesus. It didn't matter if it responded or not. You were just so excited. And then you come to a time where you enter into that valley and life gets a little tough. And I think he tells us about this valley gate, not only because sequentially around the wall, that's the next gate, but... When you go through the valley, you can have a lot of tools at your disposal, but this is one of the best ones. The old tool of the scripture. When we go through those valleys, and so he mentions this valley gate, and it speaks to the humbling and trials that we all face. In the history of the church, the valley gate would speak of the humbling and suppression maybe of the true church. Because if you remember Christianity, when it finally became that state religion under Constantine around 390 A.D., a lot of uh, unchristian things began to seep into the church. The pagan rituals that were brought in and other things like that that began to come into the church. We live in a culture where it's no different. It's no different. We have things that are trying to seep into the church to make us more culturally relevant. Listen, I want to be relevant I want to be relevant. You're going to see us do things around Crossroads to try to be more welcoming to people. But one thing you're, you're not going to see us do at Crossroads is change the Word of God because the Word of God is relevant. Amen. It's relevant already if we just listen to it. The problem is not are we relevant. The problem is do people want to hear the voice of God? And we live in a culture that is radically opposed to hearing the voice of God. Now, we have to be creative at how we do that. And it doesn't work very well in my experience to go around with this and hit people over the head with it. I haven't had a good response doing that. It doesn't work. But it might work, as a friend of ours was sharing this morning, stopping at the gas station and building a relationship with the cashier. And saying, how's it going? How are you doing? And letting them see the love of Jesus through you. That might work. That might work. So he mentions this next gate after the valley gate, the sufferer's gate, an interesting gate. I've never talked about this word a lot in church before. They might be experiencing this down in the daycare in the nursery some. I'm not sure. 
the dung gate, otherwise known as the surrender gate. You say, Jack, why would they call it the dung gate? Thank you for asking. I'm going to give you the simple answer because that's the gate that the dung went in and out. That's the gate that the garbage and the rubbish and the waste went in and out on the diagram I'll put back up in a minute. That was the gate where all the track, that was the sewer system for those people in the city. All of Jerusalem's refuse and rubbish was taken out through that gate down to this valley where it would be burned. And maybe if you look on the diagram, and I promise I'll throw it back up in a minute, there's a long distance between the valley gate to the dung gate. Kind of maybe mentioning that sometimes those valley experiences last for a long time. And you get down to the dung gate where the rubbish is removed. And I don't know about you, but in my life, God many times uses those times in the valley to remove a lot of rubbish. They're not fun. I don't enjoy those valley times. But when I get to the other side and look back, I, I realize I've gotten rid of a lot of things I didn't need to carry along on the journey. And those valley experiences, God has a way of using those to clear away the things that we don't need and to refine our lives and bring forth fruit. Prophetically, he's kind of talking about this dungate, speaking of rubbish that's to come, even after the Roman Empire makes this Christianity a great thing. Because more and more things were brought in. Some doctrinal rubbish was brought in. Things like indulgences, and purgatory, and salvation by works. And exalting Mary as the one that is the greatest, Mary the mother of God, and all these things that were brought in are things to come and hit church history. And so he tells us about this dung gate. Why in the world? Why in the world would God record these gates if there weren't some reason for us to know about them and to understand them? The dung gate. But then he mentions another gate. He mentions the spirit's gate or the fountain gate. The fountain gate was located near, the Bible tells us, the, the pool of Siloah. And it was often used by the people for cleansing before they would go into the temple. And here we have, that's the very next gate after he mentions the trash gate, the rubbish gate, the dung gate. He talks about a cleansing gate. And you'll notice that that cleansing gate is located very close to the dung gate. I think it means after a valley type experience where we have rubbish in our lives, <coughs> that after that rubbish gets taken out of our lives, we need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed. Maybe you find yourself at that gate where you need the fountain of the Holy Spirit to come in and do some cleaning. Can I be honest with you? I find myself at that gate about every week. Just so you know. Sometimes we think pastors and preachers are immune to the sins and all the trash in the world. And the, the trash container and the trash truck comes by my subdivision and by my house once a week. And spiritually, that's why times like this are so important. My dear Crossroads friends, that's why worship like this is so important. It's not just to come in here and lift our hands in praise, though that's a part of it. <clears throat> it's not to come in and be entertained or to critique our folks who are singing. 
There's many times I've sat in a service and I could have ignored the songs and the preaching because what I needed to do was come down and confess my sin in front of a holy God. It's being honest. So maybe you find yourself where you need to be cleansed this morning. Then he mentions the water gate. The water gate led down to the Gihon Spring, which was located adjacent to the Kidron Valley. And you arrive at this water gate, it's great to be cleansed, but after you're cleansed, you need some sustenance for your soul. And he's referring to this water gate because the water gate is a picture of what God's Word does in our lives, how it cleanses us and washes us. Paul says in Ephesians 5.26, washed by the water of the Word. That's one of the greatest things that I love about coming to worship. I love the music, and I love studying God's Word. But when you hear a song like, turn your eyes upon Jesus' old soul, are you weary? Are you weary? I just want to stand up and just have it wash over me. Maybe you feel that way. Can I give you permission to do that? Some of us need to throw off the chains that are on us and set ourselves free to worship when we come in here and honor God and let God's word which wash over us like a fountain. Because that's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do. Then he mentions the horse gate. And these last few gates that he gets into and he mentions are all speaking about the spiritual warfare that we, that we see. And he mentions this and he calls it the horse gate. Why would he call it the horse gate, Jack? I'm so glad you asked because that's the gate that the horses came in. It was close to the king's stables and the men of Jerusalem would ride their horses out of this gate when they would go to war. And this horse gate that he mentions is speaking to us of the warfare that we are involved in. And you remember in the book of Revelation chapter 19, we read, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he came to judge and to make war. Spiritual warfare. We'll study, study and, and see this a lot in the book of Nehemiah, is a requirement for every one of us who are a Christian. You are in a spiritual battle whether you realize it or not. If you don't realize you're in a spiritual battle, I'm worried about you. Because you are. You are. Each one of us who know Jesus are in a spiritual battle. It's also interesting that the horse gate is right after the word gate or the water gate because as the word goes forth... As God's word is preached, as God's word is shared, as God's word is sung, get ready because spiritual warfare is coming because the enemy doesn't like it. You know, in my almost 30 years of ministry, and some of you are old enough, you've seen this happen in churches and society. Churches will be at one level and then all of a sudden great things start happening and then all of a sudden it's like explosion and they fall apart. Why? Because spiritual warfare starts happening because the enemy's not happy. He's not going to sit by and watch God's people grow in their faith and not do anything. Horses speak of speed and they speak of war. Maybe you find yourself in a spiritual battle today. Maybe you're trying to live for God and it seems like, if I can say it this way, all of hell is working against you. And can I just tell you, it is. It is. That's the role of every demon that turned their back on the things of God and were cast down. 
That's, that's their role, is to discourage us, to defeat us. They can't take away our salvation. They can't lead us back out the sheep gate because we know Jesus. But you know what they can do? They can make your life and mine absolutely miserable as a child of God. That's when we have to be aware we are in a spiritual battle. What's the next one? We have the sovereign's gate. It's the east gate. I love this one. You've heard about this one before. Because this is the east gate that's located opposite the side of the Mount of Olives. This is the gate. If you know that one day Jesus Christ will come back through the east gate. And he will enter by this gate, the sovereign gate. Ezekiel tells us in chapter 44 that the gate that looked toward the east... The Lord, at some point in history, in the future, will say, This gate shall be shut, and it will not be opened. And no one shall enter by it, for the Lord God of Israel will enter by that gate. At some point, that gate will be opened again when Jesus Christ returns. You can read about that in Zechariah chapter 14. So it's interesting how these last few gates, the horse gate, the east gate, and last, the inspection gate, some would call it the scrutiny gate, it's the Hebrew word, this is a military connection. And according to tradition, this is the gate where after the horses went out the horse gate, they would circle around, and this is the gate that David would meet his men and the horses at. And he would determine, are you fit to go out or not? He would inspect them. It occurs to me, as indicated by Paul in 1 Corinthians, we're going to have the same kind of inspection but if you know Jesus you will pass the inspection because Paul reminded us I'm conscious of nothing against myself I've been acquitted by the one who examines me he is the Lord and our lives are going to be inspected our lives are going to be rewarded and so I hope that you and I will live with that in mind a lot of gates that he mentions a lot of gates that he mentions there they are so which gate are you at Which gate do you find yourself standing beside today? Ultimately, it all goes back around to the sheep gate. And he actually mentions that one more time before chapter 3 closes. He says, between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. I think he mentions it again because it all goes back to the sheep gate. It all goes back, spiritually speaking for us, to Jesus. Do you know him? I hope that you do. This morning, as we close, again, I mentioned we're going to do a, the invitation a little differently today. I've really struggled and prayed about how to do this, but I think this chapter is really significant and important to us. And again, I also think most of us in here are standing at one of those ten gates. So here's how I'd like for us to wrap up this morning. First of all, if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. Please come back and join us. Second of all, if you find yourself here this morning and you say, I, I, I don't even know. I, I must be at the top. I must be at the sheep gate. I need to know Jesus. Then I'm going to ask in just a minute my friend Heath to stand down here, and I'll be down here as well. We would love to pray with you and share with you how you go through that sheep gate. It's simply confessing your sins to Jesus, asking him to forgive you, throwing all your weight, your care and concern upon him because he cares for you and saying, Lord, I need you. I need a Savior. For the vast majority of us that would say we know Christ today, we find ourselves at one of those other gates. And so I'm going to ask that you would just join me in just a second. And we're going to bow and we're going to pray. And I'm going to read out the names of these gates. 
And if you find yourself at that gate and you need to do business with God, I'm just going to ask you, if you're, if you're physically able, just to stand right there in your pew. If you want to come down, Heath and I will be down at the front. And we'd love to pray with you. But just to stand in your pew and you may say, wow, I find myself, Lord, I'm, I'm at the fish gate. And I know you, Jesus, but being a fisher of men or a fisher of women, that's not my priority and it should be. You may say, I, I find myself at the water gate, and I just need to have the, the living water of the word just flow over me. You may be at the dung gate. You may say, you know what? If I'm honest this morning, there's some rubbish I need to get out of my life. If you are, I'm going to be standing right there beside you. We all probably are standing at that gate in some way, shape, or form. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to read these gates one by one, and I'm going to just ask... If you're at this gate, stand up, and I'm going to let you pray. And if everybody's through and you've seated, we'll mention the next gate. A little bit different invitation this morning, so I understand. Thank you for your patience. And when we're done, we'll have a, we'll have a song together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And though sometimes we read it, we're trying to figure out what in the world is this saying. Lord, I thank you that as Nehemiah and his team began to assemble the walls around this city so that it could be fortified, be a city of people that could honor and praise the living God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you point out that there are some significant gates that they had to put up and construct. And for some of us in this room, we find ourselves, perhaps all of us, at one of these ten gates. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, not for this pastor this preacher but for ourselves and honoring you and doing business with you we would just do that we'd be obedient lord and we give you this time if you find yourself this morning and you say jack i, I i'm at the sheep gate i'm going to invite you just to stand and to do business with god or if you want to talk to heath or i you can just slip out of the pew and come down we'll take your hand i'd love to pray with you this morning anybody would say i'm standing at the sheep gate Maybe you find yourself this morning standing at the fish gate. If you're at the fish gate, you just stand and confess to the Lord, that's where I am, Lord. Help me be a fisher of men, fisher of women. Anybody at the fish gate this morning, you just stand and do business with God. Maybe you find yourself this morning at the old gate, the scripture gate. And you just say, you know what? I need a hunger for God's word. I need to understand that the old truths of God's word, the ancient of days, will get me through. If that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to stand and do business with the Lord where you are this morning. You may say... <laughs> Pastor Jack, I am in the valley of valleys of valleys. And I need a touch from God. If you're standing in the valley and you're at the valley gate, would you stand and just do business with the Lord?
Maybe you find yourself at that refuge gate, the dung gate, the rubbish gate, rubbish gate. Say, there's some things I need to get rid of in my life, some rubbish. Spiritual rubbish is keeping me from being the man or woman of God that I need to be. Stand and just do business with the Lord this morning. You may find yourself at that fountain gate. You've kind of gotten rid of the rubbish and now you say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. Cleanse me, wash me. I confess my sins to you, knowing that you'll take my sins as far as the east is from the west. You'll wash me, make me white as snow. If that's you this morning, would you just stand and do business with the Lord? Maybe you're at the water gate this morning. And you need the washing of the water of the word just to wash over you and to refresh you and bring life to you. If that's you this morning, I'll just stand and ask the Lord to do that in your life. He will. He will. His word is powerful. Maybe you're at the horse gate and you're ready to do spiritual battle or you're in the midst of spiritual battle and you're like, oh my goodness, Lord, please help me. Please help me. Maybe you find yourself at the East Gate. You want to be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus someday to come through that gate. You're saying, Lord, prepare me. Help me be ready. Lastly, maybe you find yourself at that inspection gate. And you want when the Lord inspects your life and your heart to say, you are ready, you are ready. Well done, good and faithful servant. If that's you and you just need to stand before God and say, Lord, inspect my heart, inspect my life, make me ready. Just stand and do business with the Lord this morning. Church family, thank you for your obedience to the Lord. I'm standing with you on many of those gates this morning. I'm going to ask if you would, if you're standing, remain standing. If you're not standing, if we all could just stand together. We're going to sing just a chorus. I know you've prayed and done business with the Lord this morning, but maybe you'd say, you know what, I just need, I just need somebody to physically pray with me. My friend Heath and I would be happy to do that as we sing this chorus. This will be our invitation hymn. And if you need to slip out and have prayer with one of us, we'd be glad to do that. And then we'll conclude our service in just a minute. So let's sing. Let's sing together.